And now, this is the DDT Wrestling Podcast with DC Matthews and Doc Manson. Doc Manson at Doc Manson. The world is a funny place. We, <laughs> it's very humorous, DC Matthews. It's always very humorous. We we come out and and all but <clears throat> announce officially that we are probably, maybe, most likely going to wrap this puppy up with episode four hundred. And we possibly say that. I think. Well, I I suppose I don't know. We should. <laughs> it'll be something we probably continue to talk about for a few more weeks. Um, and then the world goes and has itself a, a hell of a week in the world of pro wrestling. I know we are really not quite a pro wrestling podcast at this point, but holy poo, a lot happened in the last seven days and possibly may even happen even more tomorrow. Okay. So uh, I, I honestly have no idea. I think, I watched more wrestling in the past seven weeks than I have in, I don't know, whenever the last time I watched an AEW pay-per-view sure. was. Uh, but I am not aware of any other wrestling news. So well, this would all be news to me. Well, let's, let's start there. Let's talk about your experience watching the AEW pay-per-view. And then I will try to present not nearly as, as well as you can uh, the weekly Wrestling news. I can't wait so, to hear that. Um, so uh, somehow last week we talked about potentially maybe most likely maybe getting together you and GQ perhaps to watch uh, AEW World's End. And then I have to read the description of the podcast for the week because apparently when that got posted at that point, it was becoming a thing. So so how many people did you have over there at Manson Manor for the pay-per-view? Uh, there was four of us. Myself, the Misses, the G and the Qs, as well as the Arsicist. A lovely crew. Wonderful people all. And what did you think of AEW World's End? That was a good show. What was your favorite match? Hmm, my favorite match... My favorite match might have been. Let me pull up the pay-per-view in case. Might have been Samoa Joe versus MJF. That was a quite a good match. Now, was the the match itself was good in addition yeah. to the, the afterward? Oh, I mean, I don't even really care about the afterward. Since I haven't been watching, all the devil stuff was basically nonsense to me. I didn't. Last time I knew somebody was wearing a devil mask, it was MJF who was wearing the devil mask. Yeah. So it I, it seemed odd to me that someone else now were the devil, but whatever. Um, but yeah, no, at some point during that match, uh, Samoa Joe busted out a muscle buster, and I said, holy shit, I haven't seen a muscle buster since, since before Tyson's kid's career mm-hmm. ended. And yeah. I understand that that's why it went away. And maybe there's good reason for it to have gone away. Um, however, I saw that move come out and I, I did not immediately remember why it had gone away. We, we figured that out as we continued watching the yes. show. Uh, but I was excited to see it. 
it just something about it felt like and I will say overall in that match Samoa Joe felt more like the Samoa Joe that I used to like than the Samoa Joe that I had known recently. Yeah. Uh, he seemed in fighting shape in a way that maybe these last few years with injuries and so forth has been more difficult for him to be. Uh, so I, I appreciated the performance that was on display. I, I am glad to hear it. I've seen, I think Samoa Joe, you know, he was Ring of Honor TV champion and called himself the King of TV. And um, I had seen a couple of things. And, you know, he's good. He's always good. Don't, um, me, don't get me wrong. He's not, he's not in TNA form anymore but 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 definitely better than than the tail end of his wwe career i would say yes 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 and then i did not watch the match i saw the afterward and i had known that mjf and adam cole were kind of unlikely friends who had become supposedly actual friends and then cole gets injured again legitimately he's been injured pretty much feels like his entire AEW career. Um, And then we're doing the thing with the devil. And then, you know, I appreciated the, the sort of sneakiness of, you know, them having the masked men come out and then, you know, Adam Cole seemingly being on MJF side, the lights go out and he's sitting in the chair. I thought that was a nice switcher. When they took all of their masks off, could you have named all four of them uh, if the announcers hadn't done so? I don't think the announcers did do so, and I had—I really didn't know who any of them were. Okay, I figured any you would have known Wardlow. Wardlow, uh, I recognize—I did not recognize, but I think GQ or the Arsicist said, "Is that Wardlow?" Um, I don't know if he cut his hair or facial hair or something, but I, he was not recognized. Oh, oh. I heard he had lost a ton of weight because he had been ill and like he had lost a lot of muscle mass. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, I did not recognize Wardlow. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's an interesting group. You've got Roddy Strong, who has been part of that, doing supposedly some great character work with a neck brace and everything. Um, and then you had the Kingdom, which that those were the two that I figured you definitely would not know. Matt, Taven, I don't, I don't, I still don't know who they are. Matt Taven so. and Mike Bennett, more Ring of Honor guys. Oh yeah, um, Mike Bennett. Yes. I didn't recognize him, he should, but he, he, but GQ said it's it's the one who's married to the to the lady, and um, I think Mrs. Manson was the one who went Mike Bennett, and he said no, it's not Mike Bennett. It is. Mike he Bennett. was like the one who's married to uh to 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 to, to, to Maria, and. Then at that point, I was Mrs. Manson again, and myself at this point, that's that's Mike Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> and we were able to convince GQ, but yes. yes, yes. He, had, um, he was in WWE and had hair. He has since uh, gotten rid of the hair. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I, I feel like, I don't know where I, I was most of this from. Maybe it's nowhere, but I feel, maybe I saw it on Reddit. I don't know. I feel like some people were disappointed that the devil ended up being Cole because they've known for months that it's likely to be Cole. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I kind of appreciate that. Like you don't need to swerve the audience every time. True. Like it doesn't, you don't need, I feel like in the WWE, they would have it be anyone just so it wasn't 
who the audience thought it was. Like they would make it be Hornswoggle and everybody would be united in thinking that that was the worst idea ever. But the WWE would feel as though, well, we got one over on the fans. Don't ask me what we're going to do with the storyline now that everybody was all invested into. Um, That's not important. We got one over on them. So in that regard, I view that as refreshing. I don't know the WWE does that anymore, but that always well, seemed like their MO to me back oh, in the day. Oh, we will, we will talk when I get to the weekly wrestling news. There is an element of, of some swervology happening uh, with one of the big stories coming out of this week. Um, Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, your thoughts for the Continental whatever triple both of those men were in the best shape that i have ever seen them in um eddie kingston looked like he had dropped quite a bit of weight john moxley was as cut as i have ever seen him uh i think that was also a very good match i don't remember there being blood everywhere which was also a lovely um, an unneeded thing. So. I, believe, I believe somebody posted this is the first AEW match John Moxley has had in which he didn't blade. Yeah, and like it was, it was a good, hard hitting, fun match. Uh, there was a couple of different things in there that were kind of uh, what moments, but but they, I think in retrospect, they all made sense. Like there was a moment like when Eddie Kingston fell down that just played real awkward. But I guess if you think about it, like the type of match they were having where they were just running on adrenaline and fumes mm-hmm. and the moment that the that like the, the the moment that he didn't have to just be running on instinct for him to collapse, I guess actually made sense. But I don't I don't think it played right in the moment, regardless of whether the psychology was there or not. Um, but if that's the kind of stuff that I'm nitpicking over, I mean, that's good. You know, yeah, pretty good match overall, I would say. Um, and, you know, even the match um, before that, Adam Copeland versus Christian Cage, mm-hmm. excellent match with all the right amounts of chicanery, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Cage doing the best work of his life, which is, as I pointed out, what everybody has been saying about Christian Cage Every single time he's involved in a program since he was involved in the program with Randy Orton uh, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I think it just it turns out that Christian is really good and nobody wants to accept it. So they keep saying it that way. Just he's really good and he's always been really good. And some people just need to get it through with their heads that Christian Cage is really good. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, nobody seems to appreciate him. Well, that's not true. A lot of people do, but generally, overall, he's always the, you know, it's Edge. The best work of his life. No, it's Edge. He's been good. It's Edge and Christian. And I think there are people now, especially with this work in in AEW, that think it is more, you know, they would would choose Christian over Edge in terms of the body of work. If you look at, I don't know what this says to either, but like, well... I guess, I don't know. Edge does not look like Edge anymore, which is saying something. Given the fact that he does, I mean, when he's flexing appropriately, have six-pack abs, he does not look healthy to me. But then I remember this is a man who had a serious neck condition who perhaps was never going to wrestle again in the rest of his life. So maybe there's reasons why he doesn't look 
even though he's in phenomenal shape, yeah. he does not look like he's in good shape. That's, and it's a really weird juxtaposition um, for me to, to, to say that. Do you, do, you know, like, do you understand what I'm trying to say, though? Diamond Dallas Page, I feel the same way about. Yes, except I feel like Adam Copeland is in rougher shape than I ever saw Diamond Dallas Page in. Yeah, I think Adam, uh, he came back from his neck injury. And it was just, I'm going to get into the best shape a middle-aged man can get into while also having a wife and two kids. Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be dad bod ripped and not wrestler ripped. Which there's a part of me that respects that. Except he is ripped. He literally has six-pack abs when he flexes them. Like, they're there. Well, that's but, yeah. He has to flex them. And, like, the hair isn't right. He's got like a mullet and this Unabomber beard. And it just, it's not, it's not, it's, and it's also strange to me that he still has the ring gear and the announcers referred to him as the rated R superstar. Like, I feel like that's a thing that should have been trademarked by the WWE and locked up for forever, but apparently it's not. And I, I, I don't know that that's well. And also what is he doing? That's rated R. I mean, I guess there was put, blood in put, his match. I guess he put that kid through a flaming table, supposedly. Well, he kind of skipped him off of a flaming table like he were a flat stone on the surface <laughs> of a pond, um, which may actually be for the best because then you're not actually sitting in fire getting burned. So, you know, it's something. But yeah, that was a good match, and it was hardcore enough, and I actually think it was hardcore to a sane degree, which is odd to say, given that there was a flaming table that they attempted to put somebody through sure. it. But it makes me almost think that somebody finally got the memo, and somebody got it through to John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, where they were like, listen, you're not like the hardcore match on this show, yeah. so... Let's not try to outdo that match that came right before you. Let's let's let that stand as that part yeah, of the entertainment for the evening. You can be a strong style New Japan match, which from what I have heard is kind of what Kingston yeah, and Moxley. I was, think so. And not be John Moxley wandering around with skewers sticking out of his forehead. Right. Right. And so that was all really good. And tell then me, tell, tell me. We're, we're going backwards. I'm assuming yeah. we're both on Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, the, what, tell me about the Abaddon-Julia Hart match. I really want to know. I don't know if Abaddon is a good wrestler or not. Um, but, because I'm not familiar with her work. But I will say, whatever her skill level is, she was not able to lead Julia Hart to a good wrestling match. And again, I don't, I don't know enough about Abaddon to know if that's at all her fault or not, but it really felt like watching it that it was Julia Hart's fault. Okay. And the thing that gets me about that is Julia Hart, of course, is the TBS champion. And I just don't understand what AEW's fascination is with <laughs> always having a women's champion who cannot wrestle. And to Jed Cargill's credit... She, at least, was often in matches where she came off looking good. Um, the one thing I will say about Julia Hart is, and this 
I don't know. I don't even know what her character is called, but it, it was like a mixture of a Bray Wyatt Undertaker thing that she is apparently doing in accordance with the House of Black. Um, she at least gets the character work, like her walking to the ring and like the outfit and like that was good. That was solid. But what happened between the ropes was not. Yeah. And that was very unfortunate. Um, it was the worst match of the night. Sure. By far. Sad to hear. Yeah. And then we had Lay Sex Gods mm-hmm. and Sting and Darby Allen versus Ricky Starks, Big Bill, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Kanosuke Takashida. Yes, and if it wasn't for Julia Hart and Abaddon, that would have been the worst match on the card. Um, and I'm sorry, Arsacist, but Chris Jericho very frequently is in the worst matches on the cards. He just is. I don't know what that says. It's not Chris Jericho's fault necessarily, but at the same time, the fact that he is always involved in those matches makes me think it has to be his fault somehow, somewhere, some way. Mm-hmm. Um Sting also in that match. You need to look it up if you haven't seen it. Um, he dyed his hair and he he put black face paint on around the perimeter of his face such that it went up into the dyed hair and it really looked like he had dyed his hair with shoe polish. Like it looked ridiculous old man like dyed hair awfulness in the absolute worst old man comical way it it was a bad look it was a bad he did fine in the match he did fine he did a stinger splash and a scorpion death drop mm-hmm. and that leg lock thing which i think also has scorpion in it scorpion death lock yes indeed. there you go um but ah uh, it's good that Sting is preparing to hang it up. Yes. Was there any conversation um, at Manson Manor regarding Chris Jericho and the news of that day, which has since, of course, turned into rumor and happenstance and who knows what? I believe it was mentioned, yes. 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 Uh, implications were made that he wasn't exactly the best guy when it came to female wrestlers and perhaps tried to make a move on someone. Um, again, it, uh, it has since been not necessarily debunked because other people have come out and been like, Oh yeah, no, he's, he's a jackass, but it's not nearly as big of a deal as it was on Saturday when people were calling for him to be fired before the pay-per-view and, and all of that. But, you know, I like, uh, uh, Takeshita. I like Ricky Starks. I'm happy to hear that Big Bill has kind of bounced Big back Bill and is doing well. Was very good in that match. Yeah. He used to look like a tall, emaciated edge. Correct. And now he looks healthy and built and huge like he looks like Big John Stud. I'm sure <laughs> being in the jeans wrestling helps with that comparison. But he looked like a million bucks. Big John Stud had jeans. 
did he wrestle with the cheetahs though? Well, I don't know he if he wrestled in them, but he that's where have. I see him in my brain. Um, hey, I'll take it. He looked great, and he did a good job as a big man in that match. There, people forget that when when Finn Balor got hurt, he won the Universal Title and then got hurt, and they had to do. Uh, big Cass was one of the people in that Fatal Four Way match. You know, he was he was potentially a contender for a title. Like there, people were high on him in WWE for a while. And let um, me say. Ricky Starks is a way better Enzo Amore than Enzo Amore ever was. Correct. Very true. Very true. Very true. Very true. Uh, we, you know, we can continue to go through match by match if you would like. I know the next one was it was supposed to be Swerve versus Keith Lee. Keith Lee waits till the day of to announce that he is injured and unable to compete. So they they call in Dustin Rhodes to kind of fill in. I mean, he didn't really wait until the day. The doctor didn't clear him on the day. It was oh. AEW's doctor who did not clear him to wrestle. Okay. So, you know. I suppose that is what I meant, but I, I guess what I said was probably much more negative. My apologies. Yeah, to, yeah. My apologies to the limitless Keith Lee. To the Wildcat. Bearcat. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's right. Bearcat. Bearcat. Uh, uh, I thought that match was really weird. I know we don't want us to go through this weird, but but that match especially was weird. And I realized they were trying to make do with a weird situation because of the Keith Lee thing. But having Dustin Rhodes come out, beat the crap out of him before the match starts, break his ankle essentially using a cinder block. And then that, that would have made sense if they'd stopped it there. Mm-hmm. But then having them actually have a match didn't make any sense. And then, furthermore, having that match actually go for, like, 10 minutes and having Dustin Rhodes actually put in, like, a good deal of offense, including a Canadian destroyer on a nearly broken ankle, and then for Swerve Strinkland to finish the match and then to be spouting at the camera about how they're wasting his time with matches like this. When he looked, when it really seemed like, despite the fact that he beat, that he jumped him before the thing, broke his ankle with the cinder block, the amount of offense Dustin Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes got in really made it seem like Swerve Strickland had a lot of trouble beating him. Sure. Like, it didn't make any sense. No. It didn't make any sense whatsoever, start to finish. Yeah. And so, I don't know what they were trying to do with that segment to make up for the Keith Lee thing, but from a storyline perspective, none of it made any sense. I like Kill Shot a lot. Liked it in Lucha Underground. Um, like it, you know, love, love that they're pushing him. I think he is going to probably be world champion for AEW at some point. But that was weird. Yeah. What do you think of Timeless Tony Storm? Fantastic. 100% great. Um, Tony Storm, I don't... This is, this is going to get me crucified on the internet. I don't think she's a great wrestler. I think she's a serviceable wrestler. I think she's about the same level as a Britt Baker. I think like she can have good matches with good people, um, but she's not fantastic in and of herself. And one of the things for Tony Storm that has never worked for me is that her character was just, I'm quirky. I have a little hat pinned to my hair. <laughs> I have baseball grease under my eye. I'm quirky and, and, we, and I'm kind of weird. Doesn't everybody love me? That never worked for me. That 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 character never worked. This timeless Tony Storm thing, it's a character that she is throwing herself into, and it's fun. Yes. And 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 she's her facial facial expressions. She knows that it's campy, and she's playing it up. 
the the, the camera stuff, the black and white. It's she looks like she would be at home in. Uh, I don't know if this is a movie reference that will make any sense to you, DC Matthews. I, I suspect it might not make much sense to you. But if you have you seen the movie Ed Wood? Because I feel like this character could, with the amount of camp going into it, could be directly inserted into Ed Wood. It would make perfect sense. Ed Wood starring George the Animal Steel. Yes, indeed. Mm. Um, I, I think that this actually helps complete Tony Storm for me in yes. a way that yes. she never was able to manage before. I agree 100%. And again, is it goofy? Yes. Yes, but it knows what it is, and that's okay. That's okay. Uh, You witnessed, apparently, the final AEW match of Andrade. Great. See you later. Uh, And then you saw an eight-man tag. I also saw Miro and and CJ Perry. With her busted-up finger. Yeah, she had MRSA, so let's let's not joke about that. Yeah. Yeah. Was I, was I joking? You, you seem to be, yes. Well, my apologies then to the Limitless Keith Lee and to CJ Perry. I'm, All right. I'm tossing shade left and right. And that eight-man tag that you uh, alluded to was fantastic. I don't, like, I don't know. I don't think, I don't remember that being, like, previewed on the card ahead of time. Everybody at my place seemed to be surprised by it. But putting Claudio, Brian Danielson, uh, and also, you know, Mark Briscoe and Daniel Garcia, no, no slouches themselves, but into a match with Jay White, Jay Lethal, um, Brody King. Uh, I, 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 I think Brody King is the type of wrestler that I go, yeah, that's, that's a Doc Manson type of wrestler. He was all right. Yeah. And this, and this rush guy also, like, it was a fantastic opening bout. Like, it, it was, it was excellent. It was I'm excellent. Glad. Like having Claudio do the big swing on Brody King, who was not a small guy. Yes. Impressive. Always impressive, Claudio. Um, and yeah, that was a fun, great way to start off the show, for sure. So it sounds like you enjoyed it. It sounds like you're bought back in. You'll be tuning in tonight for Dynamite. You're going to be watching all the product. Going I mean, I still forward. don't have a way to watch it live, so. All right. Yeah. You can't sail the seven seas and find that somewhere? I mean, I'm sure I could, but that takes too much effort. I suppose that's true. That's the thing. I want minimum effort. Mm-hmm. Well, let me quickly... Yes, go ahead. ...catch you up on, on the major events of, of wrestling this week. Okay. Uh, the biggest one, Monday night, uh, Triple H announces that a former WWE champion may or may not be appearing on Monday Night Raw. Now, of course, there are plenty of options of former WWE champions. Brock Lesnar. And WWE playing the, you know, we like to swerve and try to trick you. The Miz. Wants everyone to believe that it is Jinder Mahal, who is, in fact, a former WWE champion. Jinder comes into the ring, starts cutting a promo, and is interrupted by The Rock making his return to WWE and I don't know how long. Makes perfect sense. After the public 
outcry and lambasting of The Rock and Dwayne Johnson that happened after all his antics on the set of Black Adam came to light. It seems like he lost a lot of cachet um, amongst the mainstream audience. So it seemed like a return to wrestling was probably for the best because hopefully this will be able to reignite his Hollywood career and people can go, oh, yeah, we do like The Rock. Isn't he fun? Isn't he fun? And hopefully the mainstream audience can forget about all those backstage stories they heard about him being a complete jackass on the set of Black Adam. Comes out. That's just me being cynical, of course. Does his uh, usual banter, although I didn't watch the whole thing, but I believe at one point Jinder sets him up to do the it doesn't matter. And The Rock just totally misses it and winds up having to do it again. Um, You know, beats the hits the spine buster, hits a people's elbow. And then proceeds to tease, <clears throat> you know, he's he's going to go get something to eat. Should he sit in a booth? Should he sit at the bar? Or should he sit at the head of the table? And everyone's like, oh, we're going to see What does that rock. mean? That's what Roman Reigns' uh, nickname is. He is the head of the table, the tribal chief. What table? So, I don't know, the Sicilian, not the Sicilian, the Samoan dynasty table. I don't know. No, no, no. Uh, it's the Sicilian <laughs> dynasty table. Yeah. Okay, uh, all right, go ahead. He and little Guido. Um, but yes, the assumption now being that at some point, maybe... Man, I haven't thought about Big Vito in that dress. Yes. In a long time. <laughs> um, but the assumption being that we are teasing, at some point we will get The Rock versus Roman Reigns. You which think then- so? which many people have been have been dying for, for. So that was big. Everyone was very excited about that. Oh, boy. Let's watch The Rock get gassed on the way to the ring and then have oh, a really he was, pretty good match with Roman Reigns. It's going to be he great. Was, he was sucking wind after a spine buster, a couple punches in a people's elbow. He, he, was, he was trying to cut his promo. And he was, should I sit at a, should The Rock sit at a booth? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm a. Uh, admittedly, I'm not watching, and maybe it'd be different. I, I I did not hear about this return actually until right now, um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care anymore about no. the Rock. I I would have been more excited had it been Big E making his return, even if he wasn't in the ring return, but just to come back and you know do something silly. That would have been better for me. Uh, Kevin Dunn, the executive producer of WWE for the last. 30, oh, that news years. I did see. He has retired. Um, now, whether or not that translates to huge differences in the on-screen product, we don't know. I hope it does. Uh, I hope it cuts down on the camera cuts at yeah. least. But camera cuts and shaky cam. You do with yeah. a lot less of it. That is, I that would be the ideal. Um, and then this news hasn't happened yet, but. It is possible that it will, and and the the implications, I think, are quite intriguing. Uh, Tomorrow, there is supposed to be some WWE preview show, and Triple H is is said he is going to make a major announcement. Now, weeks ago, we learned that TNA had made a deal with Endeavor, parent company of the WWE, for some streaming things and you know there was there was some sort of deal the the thing i've seen online now it based on you know some speculation maybe some inside sources who knows 
is that what Triple H is going to announce is some sort of partnership between the WWE and TNA. And what people are assuming is NXT had this Worlds Collide sort of event. Wait, wait a minute, though. You say that TNA has already made a deal with Endeavor? Uh, you've frozen, so this is this will be interesting. Do, do, you, you, do you, you, you say that Endeavor has already made a deal with TNA? I, yes, I believe Endeavor has made some sort of deal so, for, I, I think it's for like PL, you know, for the pay-per-views or whatever. TNA apparently has now started calling their things premier live events. They are no longer using the pay-per-view term. So, so yes, so there is this, this event called Worlds Collide, which NXT did, and it was like NXT versus WWE superstars or NXT and NXT UK, the, 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 anticipated of announcement is that we will get a one-time only worlds collide in which whether it's nxt or wwe who knows and tna so some sort of cross promotional oh event. boy i can't wait to see becky lynch versus giselle trinity. shaw trinity whoever naomi who cares i can't wait to see Tommy Dreamer versus <laughs> Tommy Dreamer. He ate Tommy Dreamer. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yes, you know it. It is. It is interesting as someone, and we came up in the golden age of TNA, so that sort of thing. Thinking, all right, Bobby Roode is an agent for WWE. AJ Styles, all of these people who could potentially return to TNA, and wouldn't that be cool? Is it a big deal now in 2024? I don't know. Like We'll see. We are the only people who would be excited about the prospect of Bobby Roode returning to TNA, right? Because we were watching at the time that would make that relevant. Are you excited to see Bobby Roode return to TNA? I am excited to see what this means. Is this... Is this the beginning of, you know... I would be excited if Samoa Joe were in TNA and this yes. meant we could get AJ Styles and Samoa Joe yes. and Christopher Daniels yes. in an Ultimate X match where Kurt Angle could show up and headbutt somebody at the... like. But that's not what this means in 2024. No, we don't know what it means yet. I think it means they might, they might do one event which might be fun, but I don't know. Here's what I hope it means. Honestly, I hope it means Petey Williams wearing chain mail. <laughs> I hope it means that eventually on the Peacock, I can watch TNA so I can have even more wrestling just in what, cause you, you said so yourself, we're looking for ease. We're looking for the laziness. If I can have TNA and I don't have to go to multiple websites to watch it all, it's all on Peacock, that would be my preference. So, but it's, you know, it, it just seems like there's a lot of interesting things uh, happening in the world where, you know, we're gearing up for the Royal Rumble. We're gearing up for WrestleMania season. Many people are excited. I am not yet excited. Maybe I will get excited at some point. But. You know, there were things I was excited that we were able to talk for 35 minutes or so about a variety of wrestling topics. 
and and that that made me happy. So, how is your New Year's? How's life? How's the world? Good. How about yourself? I I I we always could complain. Um, the rest of the when did we last speak? I, oh yes, I I went to uh, the Great North. You know, saw family that was lovely. My nephews are amazing. Um, New Year's itself was very quiet, which is exactly what we wanted it to be. We had an excuse to make a charcuterie board, and so we did. I heard um, that you made some noodle bowls. Oh, oh! If I didn't already that oh. <laughs> Oh, sir. Uh, so we go to this, you know, we're up in the in the north and there's this there's a city that you and I have spoken of before. And there's this lovely market and it's this big thing with multiple different food options. It's almost like a food court sort of situation. And they had make your own noodle bowls. And, you know, you choose the type of noodle. Do you want ramen? Do you want lo mein? Do you want a rice noodle? You choose the broth you would like. You choose the protein, chicken, pork belly, shrimp, whatever. You add in your whatever accoutrement you would like to add. Put an egg in there. You know, do you want what veg do you want? And 10 or 15 minutes later, a piping hot giant. I went for the giant one. Um, bowl of noodles and broth and meat and veg. Now, was this like Asian um, cuisine? Okay. Yes. Oh, yes. Although I will say, and I think I mentioned this, I might have mentioned this to you. My wife and I split the bowl and it was delicious. We ate it and I will happily go back every time I am in this city again. Um, But at one point, my wife looks over to me and goes, does the broth taste like taco seasoning to you? And I took a sip and went, you know, there is an element. I don't know what the, whether it's there's there's chili powder or I don't know if they threw some, at some point, some cumin wound up in the in the mixture. But it did have a bit of a, of a taco seasoning. But it was just, I'm sitting on a couch, which is a difficult place to eat a noodle bowl. But they had these, you know, there's tables and then there's couches so you can sit and relax with your coffee or your sandwich or whatever. Or your noodle bowl. Sipping this noodle bowl. People watching, people sitting next, you know, at the couch across, have a lovely uh, dog that's just chilling out. So it was, it was delightful. What a, what a lovely way to spend an hour or so just sort of hanging out, watching the world and, and having some truly excellent noodles. And then, yes, I did come home and attempt to make my own uh, noodle bowl. Not quite as successful, but it was pretty darn good. Glad to hear so. it. So yes, it was it was lovely. Now I'm back to the back to the grind of work and doing all of that and you know, already starting to think about June and the summer even though, you know, we're still five and a half months away, but that's what I've got my eye on. So, how many more weeks do you have of relaxation? Um, two-ish, I guess. This week, next week, and then I'm probably back, I think. How are the how is the video game that you were playing? Are you still playing it? Have you? Yeah, I didn't play it at all today, um, but definitely been playing it quite a bit. Probably put 15, 18 hours in, something like that. So good, good. Yeah, waiting for an update at this point, really, but uh, still sort of bashing up against it a bit. 
all the anime and manga fantastic. Oh, yeah, fantastic for sure. Yep. All right. Well, very, very good. I am glad to hear it. Now, uh, I'm interested to see what the emails are for today. Uh, because last week we were discussing the potential future of this podcast. Um, and I threw it out to the besties and said, chime in. Let us know what you're thinking, how you're feeling uh, as we approach episode 400. And I know that we will have, I know we only have four emails, but I know those emails will be chock full of thoughtful, insightful commentary on our future and and hopes for for things to come. So, podcast at ddtwrestling.com. Uh, the first email comes from Brandon Banks, and it says, Muppet Bracket? That's literally just a bracket, so. Yep, we, we have a tournament, a Muppet tournament. Uh, the number one seed, Kermit the Frog, taking on Sam the Eagle. Your thoughts? Now I'll go Kermit. I think so. Uh, I like Sam the Eagle. It's hilarious, but yeah. Uh, number eight seed animal versus Rolf. I'll go with Rolf. I appreciate the quiet dignity of the piano playing dog. I appreciate the, the madcap drumming that animal provides, but I feel like there's not much else. I feel the, the whole woman bit. Maybe doesn't play as well in 2024 as it did in the mid 80s yes so i i will agree with you and we will we will advance rolf to take on kermit in round two miss piggy only a four seed uh taking on statler and waldorf this is probably going to be a bit of an upset um statler and waldorf oh for sure we are the statler and we were the statler and waldorf of the nai uh affiliates so this makes all the sense in the world. I have never been uh, one for Miss Piggy. Not, not my particular cup of tea. Uh, so, yes, Statler and Waldorf shall advance. We have Elmo versus Sweetums. Uh, I'm not sure I know who Sweetums is. Sweetums is the big monster that... Um... With the horns and the teeth and the big nose. And oh, I like Sweetums. Th- he's basically uh, a person in a suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sweetums, definitely. I've never cared for Elmo. And I guess Elmo is a Muppet, but I don't really feel like the Sesame Street characters are Muppets to me. I guess they are, but I don't know. That's true. That's true. That's a bit of... We'd, we'd almost need like a Muppet bracket on one side and a Sesame Street on the other sort of thing. So, yes, we'll go with Sweetums. I think, I, th- I mean, I think I, that's actually probably backwards. I bet you, because I think Sesame Street and all that stuff probably came first. So I bet you Jim Henson considers the Sesame stuff Muppets before anything. But I still, it's it's strange to me. Yeah. Anyways, anyways. Uh, Gonzo, number two seed. Versus Bert and Ernie, who are only a number 15, which seems intri- uh, that seems wrong. I'm going to go with Gonzo. Why? Because he's a weirdo. That's all. I liked Gonzo as a kid. He's, he's funny. I like the fact that he's not an animal in this barnyard full of things. I always appreciated that he was different. Um, 
I loved the daredevil shtick. I love the weirdness with Camilla yes. and the chickens, yes. whatever that love affair is. <laughs> um, he's just, yes. he's yeah. always been wacky and I've always appreciated him. I was not with you. I was going to go for Burton Ernie, but the dared, uh, reminding me of the dared. Yes, that sells me. All right. Gonzo. It is. Uh, this one's easy for me personally. Uh, the Swedish chef versus Grover. I mean, it's definitely the Swedish chef. However, yes. Grover is adorable. Is awesome. Grover might be the best character from Sesame Street. Ooh, bold. Yeah. I love the um, the waiter character that he would play. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, he's definitely the best monster. Yeah, I said it, Cookie. I said it. But yeah, Swedish chef. He's just too much fun. Yes. And he also reminds me of that improv game. Because he's got the hands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, Cookie Monster, the aforementioned Cookie Monster, versus Beaker. I would presume you would have a soft spot for Beaker. I do have a soft spot for Beaker. I love the noises that he makes. I love the red flat top. I love the the, the tie. He wears a tie, right? I think so. I love the ridiculousness. I, I, I love him with Professor Honeydew. I love that entire shtick that the two of them have together. Although I know Professor Honeydew is not paired with him here, which I think he should be, given that Statler and Waldorf came together and that Bert and Ernie came together. We can adjust the bracket. If they came together, I might give it to them. But Cookie Monster is Cookie Monster. And even though they have... Well, actually, this might be the reason not to go with Cookie Monster. I was going to say, Cookie Monster has Monster Peace Theater. That gives him depth. However, the fact that he's no longer allowed to have the corncob pipe. It's not that I'm anti-woke. It's just I feel like it ruins <laughs> the joke to some extent to get yes. rid of the props. Um, and I also feel like they've watered down his character to now where he's cookies are a sometimes food. And... He's not as he's not as intense as the cookie monster of old, which is what I find disappointing. He's been he he has not aged. well. He's been watered down is the problem. So I think I will give it to Beaker as a result. But cookie monster, especially if I was going just based off of my childhood, would have been a very strong contender. Our last matchup, apparently Oscar the Grouch does not qualify here. Uh, Fozzie Bear versus Big Bird. I will have to go with Fozzie Bear. Waka waka. Yeah, I mean, he's she's just iconic. Um, all apologies as, to Carol. As is, as, as is Big Bird. Spinny? Spinny? Yes, Spinny. Spinny, uh, like, and I love that character. I love the the charm, the childlike wonder with which Big, Wor- Big Bird views the world. Um, I... But yeah, uh, Fozzie Bear, the failed stand-up, like the, 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 I know it's just a shtick, but like, but also the, how he still also manages to be a good friend to Kermit the Frog. And like, when you think about like the original Muppet movie, like I sort of think of Kermit the Frog as being Steve Martin. And I think of Fozzie Bear as being John Candy. Yes. And like, I just... Great. Uh, yeah, there's just something about it. 
All right, round one is done. Round two, Kermit versus Rolf. It's, uh, come on. It's, it's Kermit the Frog. Come on. He's a number one seed for a reason. Uh, Statler and Waldorf versus Sweetums. This is going to be an upset. I know I said this before, but I mean it this time. I'm going to give it to Sweetums. What? I think Sweetums is hilarious, especially in the older days when he would eat people. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I have been able to go with you so far. but Just Statler think of the voice. Just think of that voice. I will let you go with it because normally <laughs> I read. I'm just saying, just Statler and Waldorf to me, Statler and Waldorf have spoken to my soul since I was a child. I mean, I agree I, with that. I was a three, four, five-year-old Statler and or Waldorf. So, All right, we can go with Statler. Oh, my goodness. But Sweden is good. Uh, Gonzo or the Swedish chef? Difficult. For me, it's Gonzo because there's a little more to it than the Swedish chef, but the Swedish chef is always hilarious. Yes, a little one note. Yeah, I will say in the more modern Muppets products, Swedish chef has been iconic enough that they always bring him back. But like on the more recent one they did, which was like, I think it's just like an online thing. They were like 15 minute shows or something. They even did like a cooking segment where the Swedish chef usually would have like a celebrity in the kitchen. I, I didn't it it did not play for me on, on that particular mm. show. The yeah, the steam had ran out of that particular pressure cooker. So uh, I don't know. Yeah. Gonzo keeps playing. He does. He does. They gave him a whole uh, movie. Yes. Not that that was Beaker. a great movie, but Beaker and Professor Honeydew versus Fozzie Bear. I have to give it to Fozzie. I'm a scientist or something, so I want to say Professor Honeydew and Beaker, but it's got to be Fozzie. Yes. It's, again, tricky one. Kermit, Fozzie, and Gonzo, to me, are like the the core trio. And I suppose... uh, I suppose Miss Piggy is the Ringo of that group. Not the Yoko, but yeah, I don't know. Never a big Piggy fan, but Pigs in Space was was excellent. All right. I fully understand what is about to happen. It should. This is how it's supposed to work. Kermit versus Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's Kermit. Yes, that's fine. Like, Statler and Waldorf making it to the semifinals. I'm totally fine with that. Gonzo or Fozzie? My heart is with Gonzo, but I know the answer is Fozzie Bear. Again, crazy that Fozzie is only a six. I would have figured him if he would have been, he would have been the third or fourth seed at least. Certainly, well... Certainly above Elmo. I'll give him that. Uh, All right. Our finals here in the Muppet bracket. Kermit the Frog or Fozzie Bear? It's not easy being green, but he is going to take this bracket. The number one seed running away with it. Kermit the Frog. Somewhere over the rainbow. He sings that, right? 
he does. <laughs> For a minute, I was like, wait a minute. Is that, is that Kermit or am I, am I imagining things? Nope, that's him. Right. Oh, that's Rainbow him. Connection. That's what I was just saying. I thought he did Somewhere Over the Rainbow, too. Somewhere Over the Rainbow. No, but no, it's Rainbow Connection. That's the it one is, that he's but known I thought for. he did both. He yes. might have done both. But I was why actually, that's why I got it wrong. So many. Yes, that's the one I was meaning to think. About Rainbow. That is the iconic Kermit song. All right. So Brandon Banks, no thoughts. I know at some point he has already chimed in. We, when we did this at one point before, he chimed in with his. I think he at one point said, well, yeah, the quality of your episodes is really trailed off. So maybe it's time for you to go. So uh, Nate, however, might have something more. My to soul. Say. Titled 400. Good afternoon, DC and Doke. If you guys are truly not enjoying doing the show anymore, then ending it makes total sense and no one would fault you. However, if you do it to talk to each other and for some of our amusements, then why not do a show every other week or once a month, the last Wednesday or every month? Obviously, if you miss an episode, no big deal. Um, I mean, I don't think we we said we're not enjoying it, did we? No, I think we have said, I think we both said the reason that we're doing this is because we enjoy talking to each yeah. other. The, the issue is just when we're not watching wrestling and we're not discussing other things, uh, I will say this is not my piece of positivity. I did try um, to replace the hard drive on a laptop only to get it all, you know, get the little screwdriver, get it that unscrewed, pull the back off and then realize that I believe on this particular idea pad, uh, the hard drive is soldered in. So there would be, you know, so I did have this moment where I was like, I do kind of want to start learning how to build a computer. I guess that could be a podcast. I'm not sure it would be any good. <laughs> so, no, the, yeah, the issue is not that we're not enjoying talking. The issue is I'm not sure what we have left to say to an audience. I, you know, I'm open to once a month biweekly, but we have talked about this before. As soon as it is not an every week thing, the, the chances the likely, of us actually getting together. The, likely, the likelihood of it happening regularly drops off a bit. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not dependable people, Nate. <laughs> I forgot to mention that I did see Godzilla Minus One back when it came out. I enjoyed it a lot. For once, the human story was actually interesting and compelling. These movies should only be following one group or two humans if they're going to focus more on people than what we came to see. But Godzilla was in it quite a bit. It is a nice medium and shift to go from that to Godzilla and continuing up in that universe. It's just mindless fun action. Are there any other monsters you think could be adapted into a movie? I mean, there's, there's lots of monsters. There's, Would you watch? Well, no, that's not true. I can't say you. Do you think people... Well, I mean, if you're talking about the American movies, like the King of the Monsters movie had Ghidorah in it, had Mothra, had Rodan. Like all of those are regular monsters. Is that what what you're talking about? Because like those monsters are always all over the Toho Godzilla movies. They could bring them back at any time for any reason and they play just fine. So something tells me that's not what he's talking about, but I'm just, I guess I'm confused. What else would he be talking about? Do you think that the the mainstream populace would watch a Mothra movie on its own? 
No. Nope. Yeah. I also don't think That's, they would watch a Ghidorah movie on its own. No, I don't. I think they has to have Godzilla in it in some form or fashion. Yeah. I mean, I think Hollywood disagrees, but I think if you made a Cthulhu movie, mainstream audiences Ooh. would go see that. Ooh. Um, now that's interesting. Write that. Write that, HP Lovecraft. No, write that, Doc Manson. There's season two of Horrid writing your own Cthulhu movie. Mm. I could do that. Um, there you go. That's what I'm saying. I am interested. I've always, and I know they've tried. I know they did the Tom Cruise, was that mummy movie <laughs> at some point? Yep. But I'm like, you have those, the classic monsters. It's interesting to me why we have not seen somebody try to do. And again, you'll probably say they have many, many times. For sure. Um, just, I forget what year it was. Was it 2018? Was it 2020? When was that Invisible Man remake? 2020, I think. Oh, that's like true. that came out and that was updated. And that would people went gagas over that movie. But like, well, that's what I'm I saying. thought it was pretty bad. But yes, um, but people I, loved know, that movie. I know we do lots of vampire, like there are vampire yeah. movies, especially post-Twilight. There are vampire well, movies all the time. That's the thing is, um, as much as it pains me to say it, I don't think there's exceptions. There are exceptions. But I don't think the classic monsters work as horror characters anymore. I don't mm. think anybody's afraid of Dracula. I don't think anybody's afraid of Frankenstein. I don't think anybody is afraid of the hunchback of Notre Dame, like the Phantom of the Opera, like the universal monsters. Sure. I don't know that anybody's afraid. This plays a little bit better, depending, but I don't know that anybody's afraid of the wolf man. Werewolves, okay, but they're kind of cliche, and I'm not sure anybody would really take that seriously. I think people would rather that be more of an action-y thing. I don't know. Um, there have been some good werewolf movies from the past 20 years. Uh, I'm thinking like Ginger Snaps or something like that. But like the great underworld series. But you know what I mean? Like th they just don't work, <laughs> I think, as horror characters anymore. Something like The Invisible Man, as much as I thought that movie, I, I can say it was bad, but it was it was it, I was it was fine. And they took the they took it seriously and they went in a new direction with it. They took something that people haven't seen overdone, and they, uh, the Invisible Man, that is, they updated it with modern technology and made it about something more, much like Godzilla Minus One. They made it about this cycle of domestic abuse, and like it resonated because of that. And that's all well and good. You can do that, I think. And you talk about something like that, I think, because like other universal monsters, something like Creature from the Black Lagoon. I think people would love to see a Creature from the Black Lagoon movie. I think that could still work. Um, but I think they did that in everything but name. What was that Guillermo del Toro movie um, where the woman was in love with the monster? Shape of Water, was that it? Yes. Yeah, like, so like that, that, that did essentially get made recently and people went gaga over it. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think the, the cliched classic characters work anymore. And then the other ones, I think, have been mined in modern times. Um, I think the only thing that you could do with something like The Mummy 
because you mentioned the Tom Cruise thing. Yeah, people aren't afraid of mummies anymore. But what you could do with it is you could bring back Brendan Fraser and you could have a trilogy of action adventure comedy films like you did. When was that? The early 2000s? There's enough nostalgia in the mainstream audience that I think they would they would flock to see a Brandon Fraser um, mm-hmm. mummy revival. At least one yeah. film. I don't know about a trilogy, but well, I don't. You know, I don't even know necessarily that they would need to be horror movies. I know that was the actual premise of Nate's question. Yeah, I'm just thinking that that's such a rich. You know, I know we did like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which kind of wove in some of those and type bombed horribly. Along with Tom Sawyer for some reason. And we also um, did um, Van Helsing, if you remember that gem. Oh, my God. Which also did not do well. I don't know why they didn't do Hans Velsen. It's so much better. Uh, they did. Got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, like, it just, mm, I don't know. Like, Frankenstein and, like, the hubris of man creating life, like, is so, like, cliche i think you'd have to make it ai now right but they've made that movie you know what i mean like they've done that countless times i mean and if you want to use it as an allegory for you know the strained father son relationship like between mary shelley and her real life father they've made that movie too like you know what i mean like they've actually like done the meta thing with that story already. Um, what was the name of that movie? Fair enough. Mary Shelley. I think it was called Mary Shelley, right? Yeah, I think so. They had Mary Riley was kind of no. That was Mary Riley was the one with the secretary for Jekyll and Hyde, right? That's a character that I feel like could come back, Jekyll and Hyde. But the mm. problem is that's been too well mined in the realm of comedy the various incarnations of the nutty professor and Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde and all that kind of stuff that people mainstream, I don't think could ever take it seriously again either. So even like me, myself and Irene had some yeah, absolutely similarity. To absolutely. So yeah, I don't know. I just don't know that any of that stuff really plays the original way anymore. All right. You talked about how your side of the family opens gifts on Christmas DC and we do it one at a time. Youngest to oldest. I wish we did it. Everyone at once and then say your thank yous. Less awkward that way. Especially when I have to act excited about a gift card for a place I don't like. Has there ever been a gift you got that you didn't remember liking? Every year. Yeah. Piece of positivity-ish. I'm going to see the new horror movie Night Swim on Friday. Looks like they spent two minutes on the script, but it doesn't look that bad. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Your bestie, Nate. Night swim? Yeah, haunted uh, swimming pool. Okay. Uh, There's one part in the preview where basically they're playing Marco Polo and the person, like the boyfriend or whatever, gets out of the pool and then she's clearly playing Marco Polo now with some sort of entity and then she says, you know, Marco, and then she dives under the water and it's not until she's under the water that whatever the entity is replies Polo, and of course we hear it because we're underwater. Of course we would hear it at that point, and it just looks so incredibly stupid to me. Uh, but Nate, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have fun because sometimes but that see, can still be fun. I will say it see, looks like it's got good tension. Like it looks well made. It. But see, here's the thing. This is what confuses me sometimes about you. 
you are the B-movie geek. I would think that a horror movie that might be bad would also in its own way be good. Yes, but the problem is movies are never bad enough. Like, it's not like back in the day when a B-movie was bad and so bad it was good. Now when movies have elements to them like that it's just it's just it's a one moment thing like that where I'm like that doesn't make any fucking sense but they don't capitalize okay. it it's it's otherwise well crafted and not fun and not campy it's just unintentionally stupid like i don't know it might be good it might be good i'm i i honestly i will admit i'm i am too negative about things and i'm and i'm very judgmental about things that i haven't even given the proper chance to so I should be more like Nate. I should go see Night Swim. Well, well, here's the question. If Night Swim was available on Shudder this Friday, would you watch it? I'll say yes, but probably not because I never watch anything timely. Okay. I, I'm watching wrestling from 1985 and 2005. So I'm starting to I run out of good movies from the 80s to watch. And by starting, I mean I ran out about a year ago. Time to move into the 90s. The 90s does not have good movies. <laughs> wow. As a blanket statement. <laughs> well, the thing is about horror movies in particular is the 80s were this perfect golden age where they were really trying to push the boundaries. Um, the MPAA was basically a new thing in the late 70s, right? Mm-hmm. And they were pushing boundaries and they were being gross. And they were having all these excellent makeup effects and the craft of movies was still there. Even in these relatively low budget things, you have great practical effects, great makeup. Like you, you know what I mean? Like there's still a craft to making those films. The nineties is when people started getting their hands on camcorders and anybody could make a movie. And there's a lot, there's a lot of drop off through the nineties. Okay. Is the problem. You, you just made a 12 episode you just made a 12 episode season 2 of horror did i episode 1 introduction episode 2 1980 episode 3 1981 episode 4 1982 where you basically just you just said it's the golden age it is okay okay so well, I guess people your... would argue with that the golden age was universal. What comes yeah, after the golden age? Silver, silver age? age. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. You could you could do an entire thing where you deep dive into what comes after silver age? Bronze. Yeah. So I guess yeah, golden like age the... is universal. Silver age is probably like the paranoia Psycho. sci-fi movies of the fifties and sixties, and then. 70s is Bronze Age. So what's 80s? Yeah. What's after Bronze? Help me here. Uh, that I don't know. I, I was going with Steel. The, um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but it's, I'm just saying. The Iron Age. Like you could do a deep dive yes, you're right. into, you're right. into that. Yeah, you could. All we right. could talk Let's... about the Hayes Code for an entire episode. Anybody remember the Hayes Code? I'm just saying. You have, and then, and then. The episode ends with Doc Manson's top five horror movies of 1980, 1981, 1982. Yeah, fair. 
Uh, our next email comes from Glenn. Happy New Year. Just a quick email to wish you both and your families a happy new year, guys. I hope the new year brings yourselves and the besties all that you wish for. All the best, Glenn Double N, period. Same to you, Glenn, good buddy. Love you, Glenn. Same to our, you. Our final email of the evening comes from Pav, and it is titled Breakfast. Hi, guys. Happy 2024 to you all, and happy 1998 to me. I spent my New Year's Eve watching the 1998 ball drop. That's how committed I am to this project. Pav, you and I go back a long way. We've had ups. We've had downs. I have to tell you, the love I feel for that level of commitment, I, I, that is D.C. Matthews. D.C. Matthews, have you ever worth. watched an old ball drop? No. Well, okay, wait. Have I ever watched old balls drop? That is not what I said. Oh, okay. Um, no, I don't think so. But I, I appreciate the, the passion for that. You know, I'm coming up to the end of 1985. Uh, will I watch something like that? No. But again, I appreciate the, the sentiment. My topic today is the age-old question. Do you pour cereal or milk first? I pour the milk first. You wouldn't revise after the exam, and the milk is the groundwork revision while the eating of cereal is taking the exam. To me, pouring cereal first would be like wallpapering before plastering. I disagree with this premise. Uh, I pour the cereal first, then milk after. Um, that's just good science, because if you put the solid thing into the liquid, it increases the likelihood of splashing, which could be dangerous. Admittedly, we're talking about milk, but it could be sticky. It could get all over. That's insane talk. Besides, your analogy about revising things, I don't know about you, DC, but I've never taken milk that's in a bowl and poured it back into the bottle. That just seems difficult. <laughs> However, if I overpour cereal into my bowl, you better believe I'm taking a small handful and putting it back in the bag. Like, that's your revision, Pav. That's where revision can actually happen. You can't do that once the milk is in the bowl. All right? You have a cigarette? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to, you know, whatever you like. That's, that's fine. I won't yuck your yum, Pav. I mean, you do you. My, my answer, Pav, um, I don't eat cereal with milk. I eat dry cereal. I apparently in Japan, a lot of like the um, what we would consider kids cereals here are really only used as they're sold in small boxes and they're sold as toppings for ice cream. Ooh. And that makes perfect sense to me. Captain Crunch, Fruit Loops and, and uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, you know, like put that on some vanilla ice cream. That yeah, sounds all right. Vanilla soft serve with some cinnamon crunch, toast crunch on top. Yeah. Like haven't done it myself, but yeah. But of course, that is my personal take. What is yours? I know many are milkers. Wouldn't you be the milker? Wouldn't the person who puts the milk in first be a milker? I feel like that's the milker. I think that's what he's saying. I think he is saying he is of the group that are milkers. Oh, okay. Pop. Fun fact, the White House has 132 rooms, including 35 bathrooms from whitehouse.gov. Sourcing it. Thank you very much to Pav and Glenn and Nate 
and Mr. Banks. We are always grateful to hear from you. Uh, Doc Manson, uh, I would like to know your piece of positivity. What is getting you through this slightly cold, but really not terribly cold, uh, first week of January? Uh, I just finished watching the currently available episodes of this anime series that I I actually spoke to you, DC, about when we went to our pho lunch, but I don't think I I mentioned it on the airwaves yet. Um, Freerun. Beyond Journey's End. Uh, yes. I have. I forgot. I forgot that was not on the air. Yeah, I. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed this anime series. There's 16 episodes out currently. I've watched them all, but it seems it's still in the middle of airing, and perhaps the season is going to be twice as long. I'm seeing indications that there are many more episodes to be aired, um, which makes me very happy. Um, Free Run is this anime series it's about basically like this sort of medieval fantasy world think something like uh, middle earth tolkien that sort of thing um you know there are wizards and mages and elves and dwarves and all that sort of standard high fantasy uh stuff right and what this show this and it's a manga series as well uh, it might be a light novel series too i'm not sure about that but um the premise of the show basically is it starts with the party of the hero having already defeated the demon king. And they are basically returning to their home kingdom, town, whatever, um, where they will be celebrated for having, you know, brought peace to the world, right? You don't even see the battle at the start of this thing. And they basically get there. There's one night of you know, celebrating and free beer and whatever. And they watch. They just happen to have come back on the night of this meteor shower that happens once every 50 years. And they sort of watch it quietly together. And at that point, our main character of the series, Freerun, she is this elf mage of the group. Um, She says sort of offhandedly, you know, I know much better places to watch the meteor shower. They're watching it in the city. And so, like, you know, the light pollution, she doesn't say this, but you can't see it as well as you could out in the wilderness, you know? She says, so, just sort of an offhand comment, she says, the next time this happens, I will take you guys to a better place to see this. And that's sort of the central conceit of the series. And she literally leaves after that. She goes wandering around for 50 years, collecting magic and doing just sort of her hobby, whatever. And then she comes back. She comes back 50 years later to make good on her promise. She's going to take the hero of the party, Himmel, to see the meteor shower. And the other guys are there as well, Hader and Aizen. Aizen is a dwarf. Hader is a priest. Himmel is like the warrior hero of the party. Um, And when she returns, of course, it's 50 years later, Himmel is an old man. He's literally, you know, he's hunched over, giant beard, bald completely, And they go on one last little trip to go watch this meteor shower. And they do so. It's just a sort of quiet moment. And the next thing you know, Himmel is is dead and they're at his funeral. And it's just, and it's just this moment basically where this, the elf character, Freerun, realizes like she never really got to know any of her companions. There's another comment she makes where, because everybody else is talking about, oh, this 10-year journey was such a great undertaking and so many memories. And 
she basically at one point says it was less than one one hundredth of my life. Like, and it's so the whole central conceit of this series is time is meaningless to an entity like an elf whom is essentially functionally immortal, right? Living for thousands of years. She's probably thousands of years at the time of the series beginning. And it's this sort of slice of life, everyday, quiet sort of, it's very melancholy, but it's sort of this, her coming to realization that she wishes she had spent more time coming to know these people when they were still, when especially when Hemel was still alive. That's where the, we pick up the start of the series, basically. Like, this is, like, just setting up the first few scenes. Like, it's, I'm not telling you anything beyond, like, the first half of the first episode, right? And so she basically decides she's going to set out to sort of retrace the steps of the party and to try to sort of remember the things that she didn't take the care to remember at the time, you know? And she does run into some of the other party members. Hater is still alive, although also a very old man. Uh, the Aizen, the dwarf, is also very long-lived. He's probably been alive for three or 400 years, but he is also now very elderly. Um, and yeah, it's just this very strange, melancholy sort of reflection on what it means to live, I guess, and to appreciate things and to understand humans and time. And it's just, it's this, again, it's a slice of life, subtle comedy here and there, but it's very quiet, very understated medieval fantasy anime series where, yeah, there are some fights, but like they don't, like a lot of animes, like you'll spend a whole episode building up a fight for it to finally end or doing the fight. Like, you know what I mean? Like that whole Dragon Ball Z sort of thing. And here, like a character might meet, like Freeman might come across like a demon, but then she has like a flashback to something that happened earlier, like when they were on the, the original journey. You know what I mean? And it's usually quiet moments and little things. And then we'll flash back to the present and the fight will be concluded almost this happenstance. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the point. And they don't spend any time dwelling on it at all. Um, I don't know. It's this beautiful, melancholy work that sort of, I, I don't, it's, I don't know. It's beautiful. It really is. It's, I think my favorite thing that I have found in all of the manga anime that I have consumed. And I just, I really, really, really appreciate this. Um, and I can't recommend it really highly enough. So, uh, Free Run, Beyond spell, Journalism. Spell, spell Free Run. F-R-I-E-R-E-N. All right. Free Run. Free Run. Got it. Yeah. Really, very, very excellent. And like, part of that might be because I have spent so much time reading manga and watching anime and so, like, I'm also appreciating the way in which it subverts all of your expectations for these types of shows. Because usually, you know, usually there's, there's a lot of, like, fan service in anime, which is to say, you know, risque shots of female characters and boob jokes and whatever. And don't get me wrong, like, 
there is a minuscule amount of that, I would say, in this. But again, it is all played to subverting the expectations of the genre. And none of it is actually played in like the sexy way that you that you get used to watching Japanese um, works. You know what I mean? It's all very adult, even in the way that it's subverting that stuff. And it just really, really works for me. I, again, I'd recommend watching the, the subtitle, not the dub. I, I did watch a little bit of the dub. I don't think the, the English translation, English spoken one is particularly well, well acted. So I'm sure there's something about the subtitles and me investing my own acting into it a little bit going on here, which I think always happens with me with anime because I can't tell if the voice actors are good actors or not, since it's not in my native language and all that. Um, But yeah, it's just this really clever idea. Like, I think I said this to you when we were at dinner at at lunch. It's like to her, you know, the lifespan of a human is like us interacting with a dog. You know what I mean? And like, it's just, it's just a really weird juxtaposition that I've never thought about a really clever way of thinking about what that sort of, personal dynamic and she almost at times seems like autistic or something but it's not that she is it's again the way that she perceives time and and interactions and everything is just so it's just on a different literally on a different scale you know Mm -hmm. and her and it's again it's her tale it's kind of this her coming to terms and beginning to understand humans even if it is now happening too late probably for you know because like I think part of the series is does she love Himmel or not and I don't know whether that's going to end up in the story but like seeing her coming to terms with her memories and the things that she didn't even realize at the time like it's just it's really really good I, I, I really recommend it I think anybody could watch it and really enjoy it um, although again, if you're looking for an action-packed comedy thing, that's not what this is. But um, yeah, I know, really, really, really impressed with that. Excellent. How about you, DC? What is your piece of positivity this week? Well, once again, you often go deep and and you know profound with some of your pieces of positivity. Uh, mine tend to be a little more basic. Uh, I will. I, it occurs to me there's no need for me to hide the name. Um, in case anybody is in the Portsmouth, New Hampshire area, uh, head on down to a place called Hearth Market. Um, a five-minute walk or less uh, from the Friendly Toast, which is a restaurant we have also talked about on this show. Um, that is where I got the delightful noodle bowl. That is where I sat. That is where I will hopefully spend many more hours. Uh, that is the place that I could I could literally spend all day just sort of people watching, reading, you know, and trying all the different foods. Because like I said, there were multiple different stalls. There was a sandwich place. There was a bakery, cafe sort of thing. Uh, but my real piece of positivity is Charlie Dempsey. And Doc Manson, I imagine you will say... I don't know who that is. Uh, Charlie Dempsey is a wrestler we began to see in NXT UK. Um, and then he made his transition over to NXT. 
uh, and has done fairly well. He's not set the world on fire necessarily, uh, but he is certainly very talented. He is certainly very well-versed in the European style, that sort of submission style, the technical wrestling style, and he should be because Charlie Dempsey, uh, or as I call him, is the Dauphin, for he is the son of Lord Stephen Regal. William Regal's son has entered, one of his sons, um, has entered the pro wrestling world, and he is known as Charlie Dempsey. And up until this point, up until recently, uh, this was not public knowledge insofar as it was mentioned. It was never mentioned, I believe, on uh, WWE programming. Um, and But recently, uh, William Regal took to Twitter to announce that his son, Charlie Dempsey, this is the first time he has publicly acknowledged that, uh, was going to be going to All Japan Wrestling to participate in some sort of tournament happening over there in All Japan. And once again, I appreciate when we get to see some sort of cross-promotion. WWE is sending one of their superstars to a major Japanese promotion to participate. Um, And it's making him a, a bigger deal. He was... You know, he was in my trending on Twitter, and I understand that is my particular algorithm. Uh, but I'm just delighted because what I have seen of Charlie Dempsey has been delightful, and he is quite good. Will he ever reach the status of William Regal? It will be very difficult to do so. Uh, but I will enjoy watching him try. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to Charlie Dempsey. I will be figuring out how to watch All Japan because I would like to see him participate in this uh tournament so that is what i am shouting out mr charlie dempsey uh friends thank you so much for spending time with us we always enjoy uh you sharing a few moments with us uh here the first podcast of 2024 doc manson Anything else you would like to say before we head out into that good night well if you'd like to have your thoughts read on the air Send us an email, podcast at ddtwrestling.com. I know that there's more than five of you out there who could send us an email. Do it. And if you like what you've heard and how could you, head on over to patreon.com forward slash ddtwrestling. It helps us keep the lights on. It keeps us potting into your ear holes. He is Doc Manson at Doc Manson. My name is DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. Really, truly have yourself just a a delightful week. Until we meet again, my friends, won't ya be a (laughs) bestie?